Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming back Mr. Rich Vile. Rich has been on the podcast before. I was actually looking through this. 2019, pre pandemic, is the last time we had you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, Rich, welcome to the ago. show. <laughs> Thanks for asking me. Um, I will point out that you've also asked my wife Paula to be in the room. Was that because you're worried about my veracity? Unless once we, I, once, once it gets a little, uh, a little uncontrolled later, she's got to come in and rein us in. Everybody back to their corners. <laughs> so Rich is running for Senate District 18, correct? That's right. Which and running as a non-affiliated candidate, which is unconventional, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so what um, you were. Former state representative, you were former deputy secretary of state. You've done all sorts of stuff in and out of the Republican Party. What made you decide to run for office, and particularly as a as an unaffiliated rather than sticking with the Republican Party? The conversation about running as a non-affiliated for the state legislature started with me clear back in 2016 when I was running as a Republican for my first opportunity to serve in the legislature uh, in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. I, even at that time, felt that the um, primary sort of forced you into taking certain positions that uh, were maybe close to a position I felt good about, but not exactly. Mm-hmm. And the partisan nature of the process, particularly in the primary, really made it difficult to be completely honest with yourself and with the voters about what your positions were. When I got to the legislature, uh, Mike McLean was the minority leader at the time, great guy. Uh, I won't say that the caucus was um, draconian by any stretch of the imagination, but there was an expectation that you're loyal. There mm-hmm. was an expectation that you uh, toe the party line, and uh, I didn't always. And so from very early on, I began to have conversations with some of my colleagues about whether partisanship was really serving us as legislators in getting good policy work done. Interestingly, one of those colleagues that I had a long conversation with at that time was Betsy Johnson. Mm -hmm. I can't disagree with anything you said. I've been frustrated with Republican politics, good frustrated and bad frustrated for a while. I definitely see where you're coming from. It's It's just the way it is, you know? And there's no nothing other than that it's it's very difficult to win a race if you don't have that built-in support and just kind of when you have this first past the post you know you're only electing one person you're not voting for like a parliamentarian um split parliament where you vote for your party and then they they appoint mps or or prime ministers you sort of devolve into a two-party system because as soon as a third party shows up one of the two existing parties then will try to co-opt their talking points, and then all of a sudden you're back to two parties. doesn't have to be that way, James. And I didn't know this until the summer of my first year of service as a legislator. Mm -hmm. I attended a conference uh, put on by the National Association of State Legislators in Colorado, and there was a guy there from Nebraska talking about how the Nebraska legislature worked. And the only thing I knew about Nebraska at the time was that it's a unicameral, unicameral one, one house hmm. uh, called the Senate. Um, but I, what I didn't know is that nobody carries an R or a D into the, into the state capitol. In fact, 
you can't have a party caucus in the state capitol. There are no caucuses of any kind um, other than geographical or uh, sure. interest caucuses. And it's often said that the most important vote of any legislator is the first vote. And that's why your party is so important, right? Yep. Yep. The first vote being the vote for who's going to run the show. Yeah, the speaker or the president. Yeah. yeah. Well, in Nebraska, that first vote is done by secret ballot off the floor. And then subsequently, all of the committee chairs are elected by secret ballot off the floor. So you don't have the same partisan situation in Nebraska that you have everywhere else in the country. And that more closely lines up with the voters in Nebraska. So I wonder then the, the issue is maybe not necessarily the partisanship or partisan politics or Republicans versus Democrats. It sounds like the issue is more one of how, how government is structured and how we kind of put, put things together. I mean, individuals in, in Nebraska still vote for these legislators, but they just do so without kind of having those, the, partisan blinders on if you will and then you've, you now we're more into a like a process story and we're kind of changing and rejiggering the way that we go through and allow the legislature to make decisions and it's certainly i think it's a wonderful conversation to, to say this way is better or this way leads to more direct votes and direct inputs from you know how people actually think and we don't have to worry about towing the party line as you mentioned a second ago um but i wonder what would what would then be the mechanism i, I mean I, I would you be able to do that as a state senator to, to try to go through and put some of these legislation some some of these ideas into law or would that also would that kind of a company be accompanied by like an initiative petition they're not constitutional they're not even law it's the rules hmm. the the parties themselves have decided what the rules are and both parties are not happy about giving up the opportunity to have power. It doesn't yeah, matter you're if right. you're it's in the minority power. right now. You're thinking, well, I'm going to get in the majority. So now I don't want it to be that way. And when we set up the nation, that's what guys like Washington and Adams really cautioned us about. It wasn't we shouldn't have parties. It was... We should never allow the parties to get enough power in the legislative process that it thwarts getting good policy work done. And that's where we've ended up. Yeah. Well, don't, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, you know, having gone through primaries and going through the social media gamut and all that, it's absolutely you, you say something and you either get flamed for it or you get accolades. And it's very easy to go to the Republican Facebook groups and say something pro-Republican and get all these people telling you how great you are. Um, and then you say the same thing on your public page and all the Democrats come in and, you know, throw things at you. And, it, and it's very easy to fall into that more hyper-partisan lane. All, all of the incentives in the system right now are set up to make sure that you choose a team and you're loyal to that team. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that team sports is a lousy way to do good policy work. Yeah. Actually, another, another comment Nick, uh, shared with me on a, a post from a mutual friend, uh, <laughs> a friend of the pod who basically said, you cannot trust Republicans with reproductive rights. So, you know, Democrat. Um, there's only been two or three on the podcast, so you can narrow that down <laughs> pretty <laughs> easily. Um, but somebody once told me, and it may have been uh, Chuck Adams, consultant, um, if you are a Republican, you are pro-life. Because even if you're not, even if you're pro-choice, they will paint you pro-life. No one will believe that you're anything but pro-life. So you might as well just play the game, get ORTL's endorsement, and be pro-life because there's no benefit to being pro-choice and all of the benefit to being pro-life and you're you're not going to win moderate voters anyway on the on the topic of abortion so you've just described the problem in a nutshell it is yeah. the, the way the two-party system works it is set up to keep us divided mm -hmm. i'm either pro-life or pro-choice well yep. no wait a minute those are two faults 
specific false, false binary. Yeah. False binary. There's yeah. no such thing as completely pro-life or completely pro-choice. There, there are some people that there's no way they would ever condone any abortion period full stop. I get that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is if we're ever going to really hang on to this republic um, that Benjamin Franklin said, it's uh, it's not a monarchy, it's a republic if you can, if you keep, can it, keep it, <laughs> yeah. that is e pluribus unum. And if we don't have the ability to come together on policy, e pluribus unum is impossible to do. So I do think it's interesting because I I don't disagree with you. And I mean, many of the points that have been made so far center around the fact that we have the red team and the blue team. We have team pro-life and we have team pro-choice. We have team raise taxes and team cut taxes. Although Democrats probably say they're also team cut taxes unless you're a billionaires i don't know well, they're, they're, i don't know what the democrats are looking to say that's this is cut, we're not the taxes rational on democrats. some people yeah those we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll bring we'll bring a rational democrat on someday and ask him about tax policy but <laughs> i think that you are um uh, they're think, out there by the way the rational democrats. oh yeah, rational, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, absolutely we just we saw one debate last night we, we'll get into betsy johnson at a different point in the show i'm sure <laughs> but i i liked a lot of what she had to say I, there's no two ways about it i thought she was a great debater but i do think that we that this this age of hyper partisanship is not unique to a two party system. I think for a good chunk of the time that we've had this country, and you look at you can you know go find senators DW nominate scores and you know all kinds of stuff like that. The the data bear it out. Folks were not as partisan as they were even fifteen twenty years ago. There were pro-life Democrats. There were pro-choice Republicans. There were Rockefeller Republicans from New York and Connecticut. There were, well, Dixiecrat Democrats is a bad example. That's from Antebellum South. But uh, I worked for Rick Perry for a while. Rick Perry, the governor, former governor of Texas, was a Democrat for a while. You had lots of different cross-partisan beliefs about social issues like abortion, fiscal issues like tax policy. And in in my own mind, the, the problem is 24-hour cable news cycle. As soon as you get Fox News and MSNBC and people having two different sets of not just beliefs, but sets of facts, if you get your news from Fox and I get my news from MSNBC, we're hearing two very different things about what's actually going on in the world. Now, all of a sudden, we've gone from you have to be this way if you are part of our team. Uh, it, it used to be that, hey, just Think what you will and win your race. And if you vote with us 60% of the time, then that's great. You can be part of the club. Do you feel that there is less good policy that's being made now that we are in this hyper-partisan age, and especially here in Oregon where we've had one-party control for a while? Or is that is it just that the issues of the time are such that they're only being answered by those who can kind of sort themselves out into this camp? Clearly, we've gone further to the edges than we've been in a long time. And I hear all the time, well, it's because that, that's what the people want. The people are, are really divided. They want to separate themselves into teams. I don't think that's true. I think that cable news has taken advantage of the fact that our legislative systems sort of are an example of polarity, and they use that to sell advertising. I, I think if our political systems, if the legislatures themselves could begin to model more thoughtful, nuanced, true policy-related kinds of conversations, the cable news folks would be pissed because they don't have anything to really um, show this polarity, but it it would reflect really positively with the people. And I think the numbers of registered voters reflect that. Look, take take the district that I'm running in, for example. You guys want to guess what the Republican registration is in Senate District 18? I'm going to say 20, 30, 50, with 50 un- unaffiliated. 20, 30, 50. Yeah. 18 I Repu- did not look that up beforehand. <laughs> just, that was just my top of the you're, you're not far off. Yeah. 18 Republican. Yeah. 32 Democrat. Mm-hmm. 49 non-affiliated. And about 12% of that non-affiliated has migrated from one of the two major parties in the last year. So we're talking about a lot of folks that are registering at least to vote other than one of the two major parties telling us 
we don't really like this polarity. We really do want something different. Well, I think that it's disagreeing with you slightly. My experience with non-affiliated voters has been not so much that they are hungry for something different. It's just that they're checked out. That they got signed up to vote through Motor Voter or they got tired of the partisan politics. And, and it is it is really hard to be a passionate moderate. I've tried for several years now. And, and <laughs> you can be passionate on one of the extremes, but to be a passionate, nuanced human is is hard. And I... I would I would say there are probably not that many non-affiliated voters who are really passionate, who pay attention to politics, who are actively engaged. I think most of them are checked out. Well, I think I think that Betty's candidacy and my candidacy are going to put that to the test right now. Yeah. Because really, they you may be right. Most are checked out. I've been a non-affiliated voter now since twenty. 18, late 2018, just before I well, came on there, with you I mean, guys. obviously there are exceptions. <laughs> Not but, everybody is. But. but but who was I going to vote for? I mean, why not check out? Because yeah. I didn't have the primaries brought me people that are on the edges of the parties for the most part. Not always, but for the most part. So I don't really don't have anybody that sings my sheet of music to get excited about so now that there's a question that I'd actually be curious about because this is uh, we've had Norman Terrell on from the League of Women Voters uh, going over something different, but I think this is one of the things we discussed as well. Um, the idea to to have open primaries, the idea to not have a primary be beholden to just Republicans and just Democrats, and in so doing, force candidates to kind of adapt a lot of times, adapt the most extreme talking points and force themselves as far to the edge as they can so that they can win the voters of those the most vociferous partisan individuals who or take the time to show up and you know register to vote in primaries if you had open primaries if somebody like yourself you could vote for an r or a d in either one of the primaries or the green party primary or you know whoever would that be something that is a a positive in that it yields more hopefully centrist moderate candidates to win the primaries of both parties or would that be something that's negative because now you are not letting kind of the each side kind of pick who their guy is the data tells us that we do get more um moderate representation when we use an open primary system and they're used in various places around the country mm -hmm. but take Take what just happened in Nebraska, excuse me, in Alaska, for example. Mm -hmm. Two prominent Republicans fighting with each other and a Democrat and to, to run for that um, empty seat that, that came up, right? Are you familiar with this? Sure. Well, after Don Young died, the outlaw. After Don Young died, you had basically 25 or 30 candidates got winnowed <laughs> down to five and the Republicans got more votes than the Democrat, but the Democrat ended up winning. How? It was ranked choice voting. So my first choice is this Republican, but my second choice is that Democrat because this other Republican is too, too partisan for me. That's what happened in Alaska. Hmm. And the party, the people that voted for both Republicans listed the Democrat as number two. And so in the final, she ends up winning. Interesting. And sure, that, yeah. and that really reflects the intent of those voters. It doesn't reflect the narrow Republican part of the voters or the narrow Democrat part of the voters. So I would say the flip side of that is what happens to Herrera Butler up in, up in Washington is where you have, again, two prominent Republicans or two, two well, well financed Republicans and a Democrat. And Herrera Butler ended up getting third place mm -hmm. because the far right more Trumpy Republican got second place. They split the Republican vote. The Democrat got first. The the Trumpy Republican got second, and whoever Butler got got third. And so then going into the into the general, it's between the Democrat and the and the Trumpy Republican who will inevitably win probably. So that's it's, it's not ranked choice, but it's it's a similar open a primary jungle primary. Jungle primary. Yeah. yeah. So and and I'm not as big a fan of a jungle primary as I am of a open rank choice primary. I, okay. I really do think that the rank choice addition helps us to 
get to a closer place that the voters really want. So That's now, fair. one of the things I'd be curious about is we, I think the three of us at the table agree that the country, the state of Oregon, you know, pick your favorite city council, whatever, would be better served by individuals who are were of a more moderate temperament, who were less extreme than the Donald Trumps on the one side and the Bernie Sanders on the other side, to, to just use two national examples that hopefully hopefully all of our listeners are going to be able to kind of categorize. If either of those guys want to come on the podcast. All right, Bernie <laughs> Sanders, come on. Donald Trump, come on. Um, we've dunked on them both you enough times. Him, sure. yeah, hey, there we go. But I... I feel like the idea of, of what it is that you're looking to do is predicated on the idea that you are, you're going to get better public policy. You're begging the question that more moderate individuals elected to whatever position they're running for yields better public policy. I would wonder if there is, uh, if there is not other variables to consider and also other things that we could look at. Because if the end of the, at the end of the day, if the goal is to have the best public policy possible, you don't want to, I mean, first off, you want to define what that is, but second off, you want to make sure that the individuals who are there in office are able to go through and execute that. Is there anything to suggest? Are there any moderates? I mean, you know, Jesse Ventura got elected governor of Minnesota. Are there any moderates, independents, people who have bucked the two party system that who really have put together good legislation or good leadership that can kind of sh- serve as an example for somebody like you, somebody like Betsy and somebody else who Democrat or Republican right now, but is as a moderate who might see this as a viable path forward to to get elected to something. Well, let me back that up just a little bit, because my experience in the legislature was that even though they'd been elected through the two party primary polarity system, Mm -hmm. most of my colleagues were good, thoughtful, well-meaning people that if given the opportunity in the legislature would have had the hard, nuanced, complex conversations that got us to policy that was a uniting policy rather than a divisive policy. So mm. I, I think that it isn't as much we need the moderate person there as we need the system to act moderately. So now mm. to answer your question, because of the system we've had, I can't think of other than Governor Meyer. I can't think of anybody we've had, but McCall, sure. Republican, that very definitely reflected a lot of progressive for the time policy that really did unite Oregonians in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of, even Vicatia was very, very good at bringing both sides together and saying, Let's talk about this a little bit longer because what we've got in front of us is going to really split us up rather than bring us together. And he was good about keeping the conversation going until it was done. Now, Tina Kotek wasn't very good at that. I can tell you when I was in the legislature. Um, I've never heard a story that she was good at collaborating. No, she she was dang good at getting her agenda done. At I'll whipping, give her that. Whipping votes Absolutely. literally and figuratively. I, I saw Andrea Salinas, who happened to have an office next to mine, come out of Tina's office with tears in her eyes back onto the floor to change her vote. And mm-hmm. that kind of thing is really too bad. But it's the it's the nature of this partisan polarity that doesn't reflect the people that are there. I don't think I think we can we can get good work done, even if we don't necessarily get a bunch of wishy-washy, no position moderates. <laughs> we, had, we had spoken with Bill Post one time, who is a, a quite conservative individual, and uh, he's now a, was a state representative. Is now like he's like a city councilor in his town in Nevada or something like that. For but school board, yeah. yeah. Is he running for school board? Yeah. But yeah. we were, we had a conversation. And he's like, I really like this legislator. Really like this legislator. Really like this one. All Democrats, just right down the line. He said, we get along great. We have you know all this great rapport and everything. But yeah, he said it's just it's hard to kind of build the coalition to to get a vote together to be able to like hey i like your idea you like my idea let's go ahead and yeah. have a conversation and make sure that we can get each other's ideas done regardless of what our party bosses say you know um 
Cliff Bentz is a good example. Cliff is a very, very smart guy. Mm-hmm. And he moved from the House to the Senate, I think, in 2018, maybe, um, was really the spokesperson for the Republicans on climate change issues. Mm-hmm. He and the Democrat that were working on that, both really, really thoughtful. If you'd have let those two get the really complex, nuanced work done, we probably would have come out with a climate change bill that everybody felt good about. Yeah, there's climate change, and here's how we need to prepare for it. Let's not kill business by doing it, et cetera, et cetera. But they could not get it done because in both cases, their parties absolutely refused to give in on anything. They had to make sure their loudest partisans were taken care of. And what did we get? We got nothing out of the legislature, and we got a bunch of executive orders. Bunch, that, bunch of executive orders that everybody hates. Yeah. So, I, one of the things that I always like to point to, um, this happened. I think it was this past January, uh, but it was um, the 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 Reddit R Wall Street bets uh, GameStop stock a palooza, which the the quick version for any listeners that were unfamiliar was a bunch of people online drove up a stock price of a failing company in an effort to kind of screw over a hedge fund guy that the internet decided it didn't like for reasons <laughs> that you can dig more into on your own. But the the thing that I thought was funny about it was. There were tweets that were virtually identical from Ted Cruz, a very conservative member of the United States Senate, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a very liberal member of the House of Representatives from New York. And this, it all happened so fast. If, if you were kind of paying attention and saw what was coming, you could kind of see where it was going. But it was just one day that all of a sudden everybody was talking about Wall Street bets and GameStop and what the stock price was at this minute and at this minute and at that minute and the next minute. And nobody had really stopped to think yet about how where is this going to fit into somebody's political ideology? Partisan, partisan ideology, yeah. Is do, yeah. do Democrats like this because we're screwing over the rich guy? Do Republicans like it because we're finding value in a small business? You know, I, nobody had really kind of sifted this through the filter. And so you got two tweets from, you know, within like 20 minutes of each other. They were almost the same thing. They were the basically the exact same sentiment from a very conservative and a very liberal member. And then the parties kind of got themselves together and people sorted things out. And it's okay, the Republicans think this. And and the Democrats think this, and now we can go bad and continue fighting with yeah, each other. You're a bad well, guy because you, you're a Democrat, you and I'm a good guy. You seek out wedge issues because if you agree on everything, you know there's nothing to there's nothing to set yourself apart. There's nothing to differentiate yourself if you agree on everything. Um, I I I'm trying well, to think. Go ahead. I, yeah, and and that that's an argument for having parties so that you can make sure that we've all got all <laughs> sides considered. But that's dumb. Because Ted Cruz and um, AOC would obviously have disagreements as they went along, but if they didn't have to make sure their team won, Mm -hmm. they could probably work those to a place that satisfied a majority of us and helped us unite rather than divide. And that's no, the whole point. You're, I, I don't think I've disagreed with anything you've, you've said so far. <laughs> <laughs> the question is just, how do we get from where we are to where we would like to be? Because I don't think... I mean, you, you are probably a unique case in that you, you probably have a halfway decent seat, chance at this seat because you've, you've won elected office here in this district before. You know, name ID. You're, you're clearly the most qualified person running for this, for this seat. Um, you just don't have the built-in R or D group behind you, so you you could win this. I mean, we can talk about Betsy. I'm, we're now halfway through the podcast and haven't gotten to her yet. We need <laughs> but, to. <laughs> but you you may be the the exception uh, that well, could actually win this thing. And most uh, people can't. Most non-affiliateds will will have no shot at all of of beating a Republican and a Democrat in any seat. That's right. I, I absolutely agree with you because the system is the way it is. And until it changes, that is going to be the reality. Most nonpartisans or even minor party candidates are going to have no shot whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But if I get elected, and especially if both Betsy and I were to get elected and walk in and say, guys, let's knock this crap off. Let's operate for the people rather than for the parties. 
Let's actually change our rules. All it takes, I, I could go to Dan Rayfield the day after I was elected and say, Dan, I'm going to go to the press tomorrow with my proposal that we elect our leadership next session off the floor by secret ballot rather than having the caucus decide who's going to be the Speaker of the House. I know you like being the Speaker, Dan, but don't you think this would be a better way to go? And Dan might, I know Dan well enough, he might actually say, you know what, Rich, I think you're right. Let's do that. Dan Dan supported open primaries yeah. um, in the past. We, we've got legislators like Rayfield, um, and who knows, now that he's in, in leadership, maybe he won't take this position, but somebody there, a Janine Salmon, might take the position that, yeah, we really do need to put people before party. If we get enough mm. of those, our very first vote is not whose leadership, it's on what's going to be our rules this year. And then that rule changes the way we elect our leadership. And then that leadership changes the way we appoint our committees. And suddenly, we're really operating without the polarity that we have today. I, I have that vision. Now, am I, am I dumb to believe that it's possible? It's a little chaotic. There's no question about it. But I, but unless we try, there's no way we're ever going to get past it. And unless we get past this, gentlemen, I have sincere fear for the continuation of our democracy. I think it could implode on the, polarity that is created by our partisan positions well here's an alternative to that okay um christine drazen wins and uh, and is the best governor in the state's history i think at that point democrats are a little more likely to trust republicans i think republicans kind of have to accept that democrats are in the majority and i think that can can lower the temperature a little bit as well christine drazen wins and she is a good administrator and appoints the right people and makes the right decisions. And every day she's in office, she's being attacked by the other side because they do not want her to stay. That, yep. that is the nature. I mean, I don't think Christine is going to win just because of the demographics. Um, I don't think it's because she's not a good candidate or anything else. The demographics are such she's going to win Lake County for sure. <laughs> she was going to like win Lake County anyway. <laughs> exactly. She's not going to win Multnomah County. No, it, it's just not going to happen. And in the long run, it's highly unlikely. But let's assume, let's just dream if Christine won. Could she actually get anything done in the Oregon legislature? I would tell you the answer is absolutely not as long as we maintain the need to have the two parties keep their power base. If we if we don't let the Democrats have a veto-proof majority, I think that they then have to negotiate because she'll just veto anything that they send to her, her desk. So if, if Republicans pick up enough seats, if there's a Democrat majority but not a veto-proof majority... I think that you, you're going to have to have some crosstalk. It would definitely help. Um, if there is not a veto-proof uh, majority, however, I think what you'd see is just about everything vetoed. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and then overturned. <laughs> and, and then overturned. And that doesn't bode well for getting good right. policy work done either. But Agreed. at the same Agreed. time, and A, it's worth mentioning, we're recording this on Wednesday, September 28th. The first Oregonian poll came out today that does show Christine Drazen with a one-point lead. It's obviously slim and within the margin of error, but it, it does show her with uh, with a lead in the race, which is I'm I don't know I'm, I'm going to knock on your wood. Uh, that's probably that's not your candidate. I know, but that's who I, that's who James and I are rooting for for sure. But I, I also think uh, perhaps you're right. If there's not a veto proof majority in the legislature, then everything that's going to get every bill they're going to they're going to have is going to sent get sent to Governor Drazen is going to get vetoed. The veto is going to get overridden and it's going to become law. There's nothing you can do about that. That gives her all the ammunition she needs to go say, hey, we need to go campaign for more Republicans to get elected and hopefully get some what I would call fair. Line. I don't know if you would consider the, the lines as they're drawn right now, fair or gerrymandered or somewhere in between. 
But we need to get some better lines drawn. We need to get some more representation. But at the same time, as governor, you do have a whole swath of authority that has nothing to do with the state legislature. You're appointing the heads of all the state agents. There's 21, I think, state agencies. You're in charge of all the di- number of different budget issues. And I think this is part of where Kate Brown has fallen asleep at the wheel. This was one of the interesting parts of the debate last night was Tina Kotek failed to give, when asked explicitly to give Kate Brown a letter grade, Tina Kotek couldn't do it, which is, I, laughable but that's a story for another time (laughs) but this is one of the reasons why kate brown deserves an f as a governor is not only has she failed to get bad bad bills away from the legislature she's gone through and get pushed over and everything we've got all this bad legislation to show for it she's not done well with state agencies and we've had we have extremely poor test scores from our uh, high school students trying to get into college we have extremely lousy response to covid we have businesses that were shut down far longer than they needed to be we had all these different types of things that unemployment were checks getting issued because of computer systems computer, that are from systems the that are- 80s from the reagan administration that they have the money to fix they just never fix and I, kate brown at every level is a failure as a governor and even if even if Again, knocking on wood, there's not enough Republicans to be able to sustain a gubernatorial veto should Governor Drazen go through and veto any what will likely be many bad bills that the Democratic House and Democratic Senate put through. She still has a whole slew of other authority that you would that Tina Kotek would not exercise and would likely just continue down the same path that Kate Brown had gone on. I'm not going to argue with you. She absolutely would have that authority and, and it'd be great. But guess what? Um, exercising that authority as a partisan invites criticism, no matter how good a job you do. Exercising that authority without having to meet loyalty tests from either party, I think would get you less criticism in the long run. That's just the way it works. And so that, that is why I am really supporting Betsy. A, I know Betsy is kick butt take names kind of an administrator yeah, she is absolutely and and i yeah. know from experience that she knows how to ask the right questions to get the answers necessary to make sure things are working right um i know she wouldn't take it if somebody got appointed and didn't do the job they they wouldn't last long she's a higher fat or a higher slow and fire fast kind of person and and that's what we need for governor but I can't disagree with you that Christine would have power. I just don't think that in terms of how the state runs, it would be near as effective as if we had somebody that could work above the partisan divide. I think you're probably right. The only thing, though, is I don't think Betsy has any shot at winning. Every poll that has come out, save one, but you know, there's outliers and everything, has had Drazen Kotek neck and neck at 32, 33, and Betsy 10 points behind at in the 20s, like low 20s. And 538 has this as basically 65, 35, uh, Kotek, Drazen, and then Betsy at less than 1% of, of chance of winning. And I, I think Betsy would do a great job. I think that she... Um, all the things that you mentioned, I think she'd do a fantastic job. My, as, as a partisan, I'm looking at all the, the things that Nick was talking about, who that she's going to appoint. And I'm thinking, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, all those appointments now have that bullet on the resume to go run for legislature. Now you've got more, more competent, more experienced Republican candidates going in, and taking over these, these legislative seats. So that's kind of what I'm looking at from a Republican standpoint. You're right, though. We're trying to be nonpartisan here <laughs> well um but I, I just don't i don't just don't see it winning i don't think i've seen a poll a credible poll from anyone that says betsy has a realistic shot at winning this thing i've seen some polls that have heard within two points um and i i see a lot of polls from where i'm sitting right now i know what the oregonian poll said uh, it didn't really surprise me i think that it's still um, a long shot, maybe not as long for her, even as it is for me, James, to be honest with you. I, mm-hmm. mine, mine is a long shot. But I think that the message of how do we unify as a people, as Oregonians, is beginning to get through. And as that message continues to get through, this is September, mm-hmm. 
talk to me again in mid-October about where Betsy's numbers are and it'll be an int- I think it'll be a very interesting conversation. And that's because if we do our job right as non-affiliated candidates, people will begin to say it's not about whether the things I want can be done or the things they want can be done. It's about whether our leaders can find places that we can be united on. And if, if we can do that, then it changes the whole dynamic. Now, my opponent, Kim Rice, is, um, I haven't talked to her, but I know some of her supporters. They're very upset with me. They're convinced that I'm going to draw off enough that she doesn't have a chance to, to beat my Democratic Wednesday. opponent, yeah. Wednesday Campos. Yeah. I don't think she had any chance whatsoever to begin with. And again, it's just pure demographics. That's why I don't think Christine can win, is if people retreat to their partisan sides instead of looking at this as a nonpartisan race, the the Republicans lose, period. Well, that's, that's what Betsy's doing. And I, I don't think, for someone on Christine's campaign, I think said, that that was her trigger for getting in getting in the race was Betsy getting in because she knew the knew the numbers well enough that a Republican versus a Democrat Democrat for governor without anything else going on the Democrat wins 100% of the time i was optimistic i mean nick was as well for for Newt Bueller because he was a moderate i thought maybe maybe him being pro choice and pro lgbt was enough to scoop in enough of those those moderate voters that he would actually have a shot he didn't I mean, going back to my point earlier, like nobody believes you when you when even if you can be the most pro-choice, pro-LGBT Republican, nobody believes you. Not enough to vote for you anyway. And so I, that kind of gave me a reality check of how how partisan politics really works. And now the the thing here is is Betsy, who you know, a thirty-year Democrat, is essentially splitting the vote. Um, on the Democratic side and giving the Republican a, 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 a chance. I mean, the fact that the polls are as close as they are is showing how, how Betsy is pulling more Democrats than she is Republicans. We can talk all day long about what the polls really mean, but it's right back down to what will people really want to have happen. You guys want Christine Drazen to be elected. Why? Well, Christine will appoint the right kind of judge. You know what? Christine would appoint the (laughs) right... Among other things. (laughs) Quote, unquote, the right kind of judge. But Kate Brown has has appointed the right kind of judge for her team. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is we would just continue to spread further and further and further apart as people if we continue those... if If we keep the system in place that encourages... That partisan polarity. So I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I do think Oregon is in a, it's in a pretty downward spiral right now. You know, there's a whole lot that's going wrong at, at James and I both live in, well, I guess you don't, you have an apartment in the city of Portland, but yep. I, you don't, you live in Hillsborough. I yeah, still live the Portland in the Portland metro area. It's still, but it's still, we're counts. all in, it yeah, still in and around. But I, it, the evidence is palpable. There is, Businesses closing, uh, individuals picking up stakes and moving to Idaho or Texas or anywhere. Or even Lake Oswego. Y- yeah, like, folks. Businesses are going to Lake Oswego. For, yeah, uh, yeah all the time. Yeah. Clackamas County, Washington County, I, I, mm-hmm. well outside. There is uh, tax dollars being wasted. There's potholes in the streets that aren't being visited. It is absolutely unequivocally 100% of a fact that city of Portland and the state of Oregon are not running as nearly as well as they should be or need to be. And I think that's part of the reason why the, even there's so many Democrats who will look and say, I just don't want another four years of this, whether they vote for Betsy or whether they vote for Christine or whether they even hold their nose and vote for Tina and just say, well, I hope she's different. I hope something's going to change. It's just not there yet. But I don't necessarily know that it, takes a a, a nonpartisan, non-affiliated individual to go through and solve the problems when the problems in this state are legion. Anybody who jumps in that seat who is halfway competent, which we have not had for some time now, is going to do a better job than what we've got now. 
And we can argue about the fallout. We can argue about, well, it's, you know, it was Governor Drazen who did all this stuff. So it's, it's, it's bad because it's, it was a Republican. We need to go elect Democrats to go fix it. But at the end of the day, you can only keep folks' eyes closed to such a degree for so long. And any Democrat that you go talk to will just be like, I don't like going downtown Portland anymore. I hate driving on these roads. I hate seeing all these RVs with people shooting up heroin in them everywhere you go, every side street on the city. And uh, Kate Brown has just done such a uniquely bad Nick, job. Nick, Nick, <laughs> Nick. Who... Sister, let's defund the police. Got reelected. Jamie McLeod Skinner beats a thoughtful, certainly moderate Democrat. Moderate Democrat. Great. Yeah, yeah. Great. Tina Kotek yeah. just erases Tobias Reed. The the people are they're divided and they're voting on the edges, and it doesn't matter how angry the middle is about what's going on if you're a party member you're voting party and you're voting the extreme of the party right now. I will say but our primary was different because we did have some far right individuals who were running for governor and Christine Drazen wasn't one of them I she led the she got she whipped every single vote in that caucus to say yes January 6th was real we decry the ORP for saying that there's treason or stop the steal whatever they put in their party platform she went through and got that taken care of at Christine Drazen is uh, if you listen to Tina Kotek in the commercials sure but by any <laughs> sane person that you talk to or anybody who has half a thought about what's actually going on Christine Drazen is not and she, any part of the extreme and she, she got and she got four percent of the statewide vote well, because there were 37 were, candidates in the Republican primary. Okay, but she got 4% of the statewide vote. I mean, that, that she, and she, she got the most of anybody else, but nobody else got even close to that. Um, I, guys, I don't know how to put this any stronger. The solution is not, let's just knuckle down and make sure our party wins, and then we can solve this because our party's smarter. I I wish that were the case, because then I'd know how to fight the fight as a team sport. And I've always been a team player. But unfortunately, that's not going to work. Well, I think that the difference is between the, the ideal and and what's actually happening. Because I, I mean, just from, from where I'm sitting, I don't see Betsy winning. I think I think you might have a better chance just because, you, like I said, you got the name ID. Winsbay is a, is a lunatic. Um so <laughs> she's not a like, lunatic. <laughs> she's an activist. Winsbay is an activist, yes. um, which in and my she's mind very are, are very. She's very very partisan. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Very okay. That I wrong term. She's a very partisan activist. <laughs> anyway, that's that's um, better, James. Thank I, you. <laughs> I don't. Um, I just I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I think this is the closest we have come with with Betsy with her money with with just who she is as a person and she's still polling in the low twenties. I, I just, I mean, I would love to see the vision that you're, that you're painting here. I just, I just don't see it happening. You so. might be right. I, I hope you're not. I hope that the example of some pretty um, prominent leaders in the community getting behind Betsy with a lot of big money, um, may make a difference. I mean, Columbia Sportswear is not trivial. Mm -hmm. um, Tim Boyle is Tim a Boyle is a is a thoughtful guy, and he's not been a partisan lunatic by any mm -hmm. stretch of the imagination. Sure, um, and and even Uncle Phil has been a thoughtful person in the process often. Now. That backfired maybe on Newt a little bit. I don't really think that that was the problem. Uh, that you know, I took Phil's money, so therefore I'm I'm a right. bad rich guy. But right. I, I get what that was all about. If those leaders are willing to catch the vision that I've been trying to describe here, I'm really hoping that others in the community will catch the vision. And statewide, it's 42 percent non, not. D or R all as well. Yeah. And we don't, for Betsy to win, she doesn't need to get more than, if she gets 34, she wins. Yeah. 
True. I, I think in Oregon, those numbers are uniquely skewed because of Motor Voter. But, I, but you're absolutely right. I, I Looking at the parties that are represented at the table, with you as an independent, with Jimbo and I as Republicans, and I, I mean, there's no Democrats here, but if there were, you're, you would have the absolute, certainly the majority in, in terms of numbers. I'll also say, I, we've talked about polls a couple of times. The only poll that matters is the one on election day. And that's it. Everybody's going to go into the privacy of their own, own voting booth and, or own mail envelope, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Cause we live in Oregon. There is no voting booth. It's a little, it's a mail ballot that you fill out. But I, I mean, I don't I do, think voters are paying a lot of attention yet. By the way, maybe, I, and I think that's partly what we see in the polls. I think well, that, I, that's true. And uh, but uh, the the one thing that I wanted to comment on is uh, a second ago you said you can't just hunker down and say that well you look our side is smarter so it's it's got to be our team that fixes. In this case, our side is smarter. That's, you got <laughs> Tina Kotek <laughs> versus Christine Drazen. Go much lower yeah, than that's the a Democrats in Oregon. Pretty clear choice. That's a person. <laughs> maybe I agree with her. Sometimes maybe I don't. Versus this nightmare of a candidate. And, and I love Betsy Johnson. I love I loved all of the comments. That she made last night i think she presented an absolutely incredible vision as to why you do need a competent administrator who sits in mahonia hall and you do need somebody who knows the facts and figures which bless her heart tina kotek did not after all this time in the legislature she was just bambi out there but at, at the end of the day it's not a cerebral well i do i want partisan or nonpartisan or independent moderate thinkers versus you know somebody's playing to their teams it's Tina versus Betsy versus Christine, and who do you trust to to be the best person that's that's going to be there? And I I hope for your sake that I hope for our sakes too that Betsy makes a really good run at it. But I, I at the end of the day, it's it, it's it's not do we want partisanship or do we not? That's on the ballot. It's it's three separate women with three different visions for how they want to lead Oregon. Well, you may be right, and I think in much of the state so far. It is three separate women with three separate visions. But you two guys are a couple of guys that I hope end up in the legislature someday. And if you are, I think you're going to realize that what I'm talking about here is how we function as decision makers. And most people do not understand how that process works. Yeah. And so that, that's part of why my job is really hard running as a nonpartisan because unless you understand how that process works and how important it is to change that process, then it doesn't make sense to elect a nonpartisan. People have to believe that I can really make a difference because they're not going to vote for me because they think I can go down and get more roads built. I, I already tried that once. I was in the wrong party. <laughs> I couldn't do a dang thing. They wouldn't even hear my yeah. bill. Um, I, I'm not going to go down and change our laws on abortion. Everybody knows that. I can't do that. But maybe I can change how it works. And if I can change how it works, we really do have a better functioning society. And we have the opportunity to adopt policy that we can all get behind and we unite ourselves. Well, Rich, we are well over time, but I think that is a greatest a great of spots to end it as any. Um, one of the, you've been on here before, you know. We ask our our guests who their favorite Republican is. I don't know, as a non-affiliated voter, if you've changed your answer, or if there's somebody you'd like to give a shout out to who's been long passed away. When I was on <laughs> your show before, I I said Vicatia was my mm-hmm. favorite Republican. I mean, I really like. Um, a lot of the old-time Republican leaders that we had, like McCall, et cetera. Sure. But I still would have to say Vic Atia. I knew Vic as a leader to be somebody that really cared about people first and not party first. Good. That's my guy. Good answer. I like it. All right. Well, Rich, again, thanks so much for giving us the time to, to chat. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.